Let's pray as we come to his word. Father God, we do pray that as we look into this, you would take away our love of sinning and help us to look forward uh, to that new creation that you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you suffering from FOMO? F-O-M-O. Now it's not uh, some kind of disease or strange condition. Uh, It stands for fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. And I think as followers of Jesus, we can go through periods of FOMO, fear of missing out. We can often feel like the world is sort of carrying on without us, like we're missing out on what's going on with our friends. When I was a student, I remembered not being invited to parties or events, because I wasn't raucous enough. Hard to believe, I know, Uh, but there you go. Or maybe it's being overlooked for that job promotion, because we've not got that killer instinct, or because work is not everything to us like some of our careerist friends. Maybe it's when everyone else is getting uh, settling down into a new stage of life, either marriage or kids or grandkids, and we feel left behind because we wouldn't compromise on who we dated or who we married. Maybe it's when other families don't need to think about church when they make their plans for the weekend, you know, they get the whole weekend uh, to themselves. It sometimes feel like the world at large has it easy, And it would be so much easier, we think, to go with the flow. To just buy into the world and be normal. The pressure here and now is to conform to the world around us. Buy this, wear this, like this, do this, live for this. It may feel more intense now, but it's nothing new. The church is in the time of the book of Revelation. Uh, When that was written, they were facing some of those same pressures. Do this. Wear this, enjoy this, worship this, live for this. And to be normal, to conform, can be really tempting. It can be seductive. And it's a real danger for Christians that we might fall in love with the world. To go after what the world goes after. To love the things the world loves. To be normal. But what does the Bible say? But it says this in 1 John uh, 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It doesn't mean thereby world, the people. We are to love people, aren't we? God loves people. But we're not to love the way of the world, the sinful, seductive makeup of the world. The system that we saw last time could be summed up in three words. Money, sex, and power. That really sums up the world around us. Those are the things that make the world go round, but they shouldn't be the things that make us go round, if you get what I mean. John's vision here pictured the world, as we understand it in that way, as Babylon. A partying prostitute that seduces and intoxicates kings and peoples of the world and leads them into sin and idolatry. In Revelation, the beastly powers uh, in the world slay and destroy Christians, but Babylon seduces and deceives them. She kills with kindness, or, or more, she kills with conformity. But we as Christians are not to be conformed to this world. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, verse uh, 2, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. We're not to be like Babylon. We're to come out of Babylon, to be countercultural, not conformed to the world around us. We're to live as exiles in this Babylon, just as the Old Testament believers were to in actual Babylon. And Revelation 18 this morning gives us a really, one massive reason why we're to do that. This bit is not complicated as we, as we go through. The first point, which may or may not come up on the screen, I think it's crashed again. Yeah, they're not going up on the screen. Babylon is doomed. Babylon is doomed. Have a look again at verses 1 to 3. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then down to verse 7. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she said, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. Babylon will fall. Babylon is doomed. John tells us as much in simple language in 1 John. 1 John 2.17 And the world is passing away along with its desire. What is the point, John is saying, of living for the world when the world is passing away? What's the point in investing in Babylon when Babylon is doomed to fail? More than that, it will be judged. It would be like trying to invest in Lehman Brothers or Blockbusters. That's what it's saying. Why live for something that has no future? Why buy an apartment in a building that you know is condemned? Why buy a ticket for the Titanic? Why play a game where you know that everybody that's playing it will lose? And yet that's what we do day in and day out. Or at least we're tempted to do day in and day out. We invest in things that won't last. We live for things that won't endure. C.T. Studd, the famous Victorian English cricketer, who gave away his millions and became a missionary, wrote a poem, much too long to quote in full this morning. But here's the refrain. It says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Real estate in Babylon is a bad investment. It will be desolate. It will be abandoned, left to birds and beasts, left to the unclean spirits that animated it and made it function. The words fall and fallen is Babylon come from Isaiah 21. There it was a prophecy of what is to come. And here again, it's a prophecy of what is to come. I was going to show you a picture of literal Babylon on the screen. It's a waste. It's a ruin. Nobody lives there now. They've built some stuff up for tourists, 
But really, most of it is just a ruin. It's on the rubbish dump of history. That is the destiny of Babylon. The world as we know it is doomed. Why? Because it's a system built on sin. Look again at verse 3. For all nations are drunk of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. It's a system in rebellion against its creator. Just like the first Babel, the Tower of Babel, it's man versus God. And in that battle, man is doomed to lose. The Jezebel has been judged, the tempter has been terminated. Babylon is on the way out. So why live for Babylon? Why store your treasures on earth rather than in heaven? Why support and be seduced by a system of sin? No, rather we are to live for the city that lasts. Speaking of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the author to Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 11. These all died in faith. Having received, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they seek a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We do not belong to the city of Babylon. So don't live for Babylon. Don't live for this world, this city. Live for the one that's better. Live for the one that's to come. Who then is it who live for Babylon? Well, it's those who are bound up in that system. So our second point, those who live have lived for Babylon will mourn for Babylon. Those who have lived for Babylon will mourn for Babylon. We've often ended up recently having discussions in our family about what there will and won't be at the end. Will there be jobs in the New Jerusalem? Will there be colour blindness, if that's something that you want to have? Will there be painless wounds like Christ had when he was resurrected from the dead? I remember doing a series of video studies in a home group a few years ago that talked about what life at the end would be like after Judgment Day. The guy on the video got very excited about scuba diving, uh, mountain climbing and space exploration, about mansions, skyscrapers and all sorts of new advanced technology. But it just didn't sit well with me as we were going through it. It sounded wrong. Now what life will be like there, we don't exactly know. We'll see a bit in chapters 21 and 22, but spoiler alert, we won't be able to answer all the questions that you have. The thing that didn't sit well, though, was that those things are often what people in the world get caught up with in the world. As though it's wrong to live for those things now, but once we're there, then it's okay to live for those things. Now, there is an element of recompense in the new creation, the new Jerusalem. There's a sense in which we suffer now, but the glory to come outweighs it. There is sadness now, but it's outweighed by the joy then. But I'm not convinced that our happiness and our joy will be in the things that I just mentioned before, whether we have them there, have them there or not. 
Because I worry we might just be projecting the things of Babylon and putting them into the new creation. What I mean is that if we want to get to glory for scuba diving or for silver in our pockets, there's a sense in which we're still living for Babylon. We just prepare to wait for it. The clue for ourselves really here is whether we mourn Babylon's passing, whether we rejoice in it, and whether we're looking forward to it. Is it something that we're looking forward to disappearing? Because there are people in in the world who will weep on that day when Babylon has fallen. So we're told about kings and rulers in verses 9 and 10. Let me read that to you again. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. On that day, kings will mourn. Now, kings here are not to be taken as a positive thing. It's not as though the important people will will mourn her. The kings in Revelation were the ones who were gathering for war against the Lamb in Revelation 16. They're the ones who've committed sexual immorality with Babylon. In other words, the fall of Babylon means their party is over. Their entertainment has been cut short. And now they fear her torment. They fear that what's happened to her will happen to them. And you know what? Spoiler alert again, they're not wrong. But they're not the only ones that are crying. The merchants too. Have a look at verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. I won't take you through that long list. I don't know about you, it sounded a bit like the generation game. I don't know when the sort of conveyor belt goes past and, you know, got gold and find silk and... But it is interesting, isn't it, that it focuses on those things as we go through what, what they are that they're selling. And it focuses on indulgent, high-end goods, gold, silver, jewels, pearls, silk, scented wood, marble, cinnamon, fine wine and horses. Sort of luxury items. But did you notice that Babylon is pragmatic? She promotes mid to high-end too. So it's not just gold and silver, but iron and bronze. Not just silk, but fine linen, purple cloth, scarlet cloth. Not just cinnamon, but all kinds of spices and incense. Not just wine, but oil, fine flour and wheat. And not just horses, but cattle and sheep. These things were in the reaches of a normal person, an everyday person to get to. It's still the luxury end, but Babylon is not just concerned with the super rich. This isn't just the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk's of this world. Let me put it this way. On that last day, it won't just be the owners of Harrods and Harvey Nicks that will be crying. It will be the owners of M&S and Waitrose and even Booze shedding a tear too. Not that it's wrong to shop at those places any more than it's wrong to have spices or oil in your cupboards at home. But it's that whole system that lives for stuff Whatever that stuff is. It's a good reminder too that prophecy often gives us things that speak about the time to tell us about things in the future. I doubt we're going to see a revival in the myrrh and chariots markets uh, before Jesus returns. And hopefully not ivory or slaves, which you know is just dropped in there at the end. But these things show us the kind of things these people are involved in. And the fact they have no scruples in using people, even selling people, 
if it gets them a quick profit. And that is the way the world works. That is the way Babylon works. And so to live for that, to live for stuff, is to live for Babylon. And it's hard not to play this game, isn't it? We're bombarded with adverts for stuff that we don't need, from people who don't care. Stuff that promises to make our lives better, doesn't actually bring us real happiness. And yet we get so attached to this stuff, don't we? It's like a web of more. We need more, 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 all in the pursuit of ease and happiness. Let me put it this way. What if Apple, the tech firm, collapsed? Would you cry? No more iPhones, no more MacBooks. I bet you some people would cry on that day. What about Amazon or eBay or Etsy? Or what if someone came and took all your stuff? No TV, no devices, no car, no washing machines. Try watching on, on trashy TV, can't pay and we'll take it away. You'll see plenty of tears as people have their stuff taken from them. Could we be like the Hebrew Christians who joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they knew that they themselves had a better possession, an abiding one, in Hebrews 10? That's what we should be like, isn't it? But the merchants there will mourn because no one will buy their stuff anymore. The system will be over. No more living for stuff. But it also means no more delivering stuff. So the shipping people will mourn as well. Have a look at verse 17. Oh, sorry, yeah, second half of 17. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all who trade, as traders on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of their burning. What city was like this great city? If nobody's buying, then nobody's delivering. Think of places like Liverpool that used to be great port cities, rich from transatlantic trade, known and revered around the world. And then the slave trade stops, thank goodness, go Wilberforce. But now Liverpool is known often for its deprivation and poverty and occasionally the Beatles. But imagine if all the online retailers closed. Delivery drivers across the world would be out of a job, wouldn't they? Or imagine if we stopped importing food and goods from overseas. Lorry drivers would be out of work overnight. I'd say the Eddie Stobarts of this world would cry, but as far as I know, I've heard that he's a Christian. Maybe it'll be Mr. Yodel and Mr. Hermes, whoever they are, who will cry. Really, though, it's all those who invested in the system. When the system falls, then the people who've lived from it and for it will mourn. And this tells us something about Babylon, those who mourn for it. They say you can tell something about a person by who comes to their funeral. So we had Eleanor Rigby mentioned a few weeks ago, no one came to her funeral. The Beautiful South had a song a few years back. Say a few years, I looked at it, it was 31 years back. <laughs> um, called Old Red Eyes is Back. It's about an alcoholic whose funeral was intended exclusively by pub landlords. It says something about the person, doesn't it, who mourns for you. Well, Babylon is mourned by promiscuous princes, slave-driving salesmen, and yodel delivery drivers. I'm not saying they're all as bad as each other. 
But it paints a picture again of a system of money, sex, and power. But here it's all gone in a heartbeat, an hour, a day, the day of the Lord. One day this whole system will be overturned as Jesus Christ returns. And all that is built on cash and carnality and coercion will be gone. Babylon will be no more and a new world will be here with stronger foundations. Foundations of righteousness, holiness and peace. But for now, Babylon is still here. We still live in the world. So what do we do while Babylon still stands and we live in her? Well, our last point, we come out from her and look forward to her demise. We come out from her and we look forward to her demise. Have a look at verses 46. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. Now here we need some wisdom. We need to be careful by what we mean here, otherwise we're going to make some very unhelpful conclusions. What does it mean to come out of Babylon? Well, first of all, we need to recognise that that's a quote. And if you've been with us in our series in Revelation so far, you'll be able to guess it's from the Old Testament. In a passage prophesying the fall of Babylon, it's written this in Jeremiah 51, 45. Go out from the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. The message is clear there. If you stay in Babylon, you will perish along with it. The language of that passage is reminiscent of the flight of Lot from Sodom, where he had to leave to avoid facing the Lord's judgment on it. What he's saying here is you cannot stay in Babylon and live. In that sense, Babylon is like the city of destruction in Pilgrim's Progress, that Christian must flee. Except that Babylon feels a bit like the town of Vanity Fair there, because there are so many enticements and distractions there to make you stay. But that can't mean that we literally run away from the world. There have been Christians down through the ages who have taken that view and have ended up shutting themselves away. Some in monasteries and some in Christian bubbles. I remember chatting to an older saint some years ago who told me that in his life he had never had a non-Christian friend. And he said that he used to wear it like a badge of honour. And now he realised that it was a mistake. He'd gone through his whole life without seriously ever getting to know somebody outside of church. That is not what John meant. Jesus makes this clearer in John's Gospel in his high priestly prayer for believers. In John 17, 15, he prays this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? It's not about keeping ourselves out of society. It's about keeping ourselves out of sin. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be sanctified, set apart, holy, in the world. We're to be a city on a hill, a light to the world, as we shine Jesus' light. 
You don't take a lamp and hide it under a bushel, wherever a bushel is. <laughs> the way we come out of Babylon is by saying no to her seduction. By saying no to just going with the flow. Lest, it says in the voice in verse 4, we end up taking part in her sins. And then end up taking part in her judgment, in her payback. Instead of colluding with the enemy, instead we're to be looking forward to her end. So look down at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. The one who tried to shipwreck Christians has been shipwrecked. The one who tried to seduce the saints has been shattered. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day when you won't have to battle temptation, day in, day out? I do. Do you long for a day when you won't feel like you're missing out, when you won't have FOMO because the world is doing all sorts of stuff without you? I do. But look at what becomes of those parties and careerists and smug newlyweds who rub it in your face. Look at 21 to 24. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpets will be heard no more. And a craft, sorry, um, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all those who've been slain on the earth. One day it will all be gone. Because it was all based on Babylon. It was all built in Babylon. And one day Babylon will be no more. So what does John, what does God through his vision, through John, want us to understand? Don't pin your hopes on Babylon. Don't live for the things of this world. Be in the world, but not of the world. Be sanctified by the word of truth. And you know what? We will miss out in this world, on the things of this world, on Babylon and our earthly seductions. At least in some sense, we should do, shouldn't we? That's what Babylon is all about. But you won't miss out on the thing that really matters, the things of heaven, the things of God, the things that endure into eternity. Only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father God, we want to ask for your help this morning. We live in a seducing world that wants us to live for stuff and for things that don't matter. Father, help us instead to live for what endures. Help us to say no to the seductions of Babylon. And Father, help us to live for that city that is to come, to put the world behind us and look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.